Thank you, Brother Williams. <clears throat> I tell you what, I'm so excited to be here. <clears throat> I was kind of worried because this past Sunday, after teaching Bible class, my voice just left me. And uh, I was to speak at Crestview Church of Christ in Boaz last night, and I made it through that. Kept praying and thinking, oh, I hope my voice will last one more time, and so we can make it through today. So we may end when my voice ends, <laughs> and, uh, but of course I know many of you uh, that can pick right up uh, where I leave off on this material. Uh, I was handed this uh, super looking recorder and I the first thing that came to mind when it, they handed it to me was it, it looks like the scanner that they'll go over you before you enter the prison in so I thought they were trying to scan me at the door but uh, let, let me let me be your cheerleader this morning alright this is a weekend that we want to pack as much as we can in to this weekend to encourage us to continue going what we're doing and uh, let me just say this, and I want you to say it with me. I'll say it first, and I want you to say it after me. Expect great things from God. Ready? Expect great things from God. Now, do th great things for God. Say that. Do great things for God. You see, you expect great things from God, and then you do great things for God. It's an amazing how that process works. And I want to be your cheerleader this morning so that we can work together and encourage one another in the greatest work on earth. You know, you have church works that's going on in your communities. You have things that you're out and reaching the community and, and you're planting the seed where you're going. And that's a great thing. But the best return... On your time is in a prison system. You know, for 13 years I worked in the DA's office and my motto was, lock them up. And then once I, I, I left that, my motto now is, set them free. Set them free. And so I, some of my best friends I have made are in the prison system. I love these guys. They are my pals. They watch out for me. They, they encourage me every time I go there. There's not a time that, that a week doesn't go by that I yearn to go back to that prison. My wife says, you spend more time in there now than you do at home. Well, that could be true. I love it because I know that it's the greatest mission field that I can be in at that particular moment. If you take a look, how many millions of people are in the United States prisons today? I believe the last count there was over like 2.5 million people in the United States in prison. And when we go in there and we teach to a captive audience like that, what better place can you go into to have such a willing and involved group of people wanting to do what's best for their lives at that particular moment. It's the greatest work on earth. It's the best place to be. And it's the most fruitful grounds that we have. You know, we had the, uh, state, uh, the, the state of Alabama prison uh, workshop in Birmingham this past year. 
Buck Griffith got there and he was describing that uh, with New Life Behavior and the CASA program, what the recidivism rate is for those that are going through the Christian-based information. And did you know that with Christian-based programs such as CASA and New Life Behavior, H.M. Motzinger is here. Man, love this guy. Love this guy. Great material. Through those programs, did you know that 99% of the ones who complete those programs are not returning back to prison? Can you, I mean, I mean, you're, you're, you, these are magnificent numbers. These are, the states are begging for these types of numbers out of their prison system. And they're not getting it from any program that they're offering it. It's the volunteers that's going in there and making these types of changes with individuals. This is an amazing type of thing. And the greatness, the great part of this is the fact that they're not returning back to a lifestyle that they had grown up their entire lives to that point with. You know? And it's Christ that's making the difference in their life. And so when we can say that a program such as that, that, that we go into a prison and we're carrying it in there to them is making such a great difference in their lives that they're not returning back. Where else? What other place could you spend your time in the work of the Lord and making a difference in people's lives? I'm your cheerleader this morning, brothers and sisters. This is amazing work. It is fantastic. It's heart-wrenching. It's gut-checking. It's action-packed. You don't know what you're going to expect some days that you arrive. But you know that when you get there, there are people there who love you and looking and hoping that you'll show up again and again and again. You know, it's almost like a drama when you go into a prison. You know, it's like everybody is living their lives in such a way they're trying to control as much of their lives as they possibly can to the point that, you know, two guys will argue over a coffee stirring stick. They will argue just about over anything they will find ways to bring an emotional response to those in their midst so that they can feel alive. You know, there are lot, there's lots of drama that goes on. You know, the other day I walked into a limestone prison facility and uh, we get, I get there and, um, and the trustees said, Kyle, they're looking for you. They are looking for you. And I said, oh my goodness, what's gone on? They had some issue with the structure team down there in H-Dorm in, um, in which uh, one, of the, one of the inmates who was senior rep of the dorm, um, Will, he had, uh, he had been caught... Uh, taking things from the kitchen and keeping them by his bedside. 
and they thought it was the end of the world. And uh, they, they, some of them were cheering, saying, yeah, Will, Will's been caught in doing something wrong. And the other side was saying, oh, no. Because they knew Will in the structure, he was the one that would put the hammer down. He would tell them, you got to do your work. You got to take care of your business. You got to show up for your job on time and all that type of stuff. Some of them didn't like to hear that. And some of them uh, were ready for Will to go. And what they did is, what they call it, is they crossed him out. They told on him for something that was a technical violation of the rules, but yet the prison system had allowed him to do it for eons. You know? He, he, he was doing this for year after year, uh, and what he was doing was he was taking items from the kitchen and giving them to the other trustees who were working late at night and could not share in some of the benefits of the leftover food. And so the, the guard would turn his head, Will would take the stuff out, and give it to the people that he needed. But because it was a technical violation of the rule, somebody went up the chain of command from the inmate to the DOC and crossed Will out. And Will has now been moved to another facility over that. You see, these are drama things that are happening when you arrive there that you don't know about. <laughs> You're not aware of all the little things that are going on. Thank God that we have a, a chaplain in Chaplain Williams who will inform us and make us aware of those types of situations, things that are going on within that prison, that we don't get caught up in the drama that's there. And so I tell you that to say there is a world in and of itself going on within that prison system. They are locked in in such a way as to a lifestyle that they are creating ways in order to feel alive. Why did they cross Will out? Because he had more authority than they did. Why did they cross Will out? Because they were bored that day. Why did they cross Will out? Because they needed a kick out of their day. These are things that are going on and your expectation when you go into a prison, we need to be aware of that. Because you may be expecting, hey, I'm going in there, I'm providing a good service to them, I am teaching them great things, and they may be showing you on the surface, oh yes, we're listening and we're respecting what you're saying, but the world that they go back to in that dorm day in and day out is a life of turmoil, a life of protecting themselves. And so what is it that we can do? We're not just there. Our expectation ought not to be we're just there to teach a class, that we're there to get across some information to them. There is more to our involvement and our volunteering in a prison and our expectation of what needs to what we're there to do. It's more than teaching a class. It's more than fulfilling a self-need to help others. Let me describe it this way. Why 
Or what makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian? My phone. Relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what, sort of like what Josh was saying in the devotional this morning. That relationship is such a close-knit bond that they cannot tell you apart from Jesus Christ, so to speak. When you become a Christian, do you not take on God's nature? You shed your own nature and you take on the nature of God. You then become God, so to speak, in the physical world to those who are looking at you and watching you. You know, have you ever been in a prison and someone says, I'm glad you're here because I want to ask your opinion about something. I want to ask your opinion about this. What do you think I ought to do in this situation? You know, they're not asking me, Kyle, what do you think about this? They're asking God. Because what they're doing is they're seeing God in you. The way you are exhibiting your life, what you're modeling to them is a model of God in front of them. What's the saying? That you may be the only Bible someone ever reads. And that's absolutely true. You are modeling God and His nature before others. And when people see that, they're not drawn to you, but they're drawn to God. They're drawn to Christ. And when they come to you and they say, what, can, what should I be doing in this circumstances? What is your opinion of what I should do? They're actually seeing God and asking God those questions. And when we can turn around and show them in Scripture what God would have them to do, then we're modeling Christianity of its fullest. You see, it's not just about teaching information and giving out information. It's about engaging them in that same type of relationship with God. That experience, that, 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 that time that you spend with God is going to show through every action that you have in that prison system. So here's the expectation. Expect, expect that they want to know God by looking at you. Know that. And then take that type of, of mindset, that type of, of setting, and figure out ways that you can then model God in that situation. For instance, with, with, uh, with, uh, with the situation with uh, Will. Uh, Will, uh, he has gone from our facility. So what can I do to model Christ, model God in our honor dorm and make this situation more of an eye-opening an eye-opening event? Well, here's my first thing that I'm trying to do with uh, with my expectation and their response. That is Somehow I've got to create accurate thinking in these individuals. A Bible story would work. I mean, you could use the Good Samaritan story. You could use different Bible stories. 
uh, to get across, you know, hey, what you did by crossing Will out wasn't proper. And of course, I told Will before he left, I said, you got to keep your nose clean and everything because they're going to shoot at you every opportunity they got because you are a leader in the dorm. But there's different ways to, to teach uh, the lesson. But the heart of the matter is we've got to create some which way uh, a catalyst that brings about accurate thinking in the individuals. Because at the heart of it, what's the problem? What's the thing that they're struggling with? What's the thing that they, they're struggling with every single day in that prison? Hmm? Yeah. Lying. The, 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 the less than integrity, less than in, integral uh, 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 statements, perceptions, everybody's out to get them. And so when they get an opportunity, they're going to take that role and, and go uh, and, and, and hit somebody else between the eyes with less than accurate information from their perspective. So what is it as, that I need to do as a volunteer uh, in a prison? I, 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 I want to say this very cautiously. Um, I'll say it very cautiously. I'm not there to strictly share them the gospel of Jesus Christ in a word-for-word scripture teaching. I am there to teach them how to think accurately about their world. If I can help them to think accurately about their world, then I know when they see the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to accept it because it is the accurate message that touches everyone's life. And so my goal is to help them with creating accurate thinking in their minds. How do I do that? Well, number one, through the material that I choose to teach within the prison system. Every class with the New Life Behavior program, every class that teaches that is teaching how to think accurately about your world. Getting rid of the damaged belief systems, dumping all of that out of their minds, and when a thought comes into their mind, they are answering it with the truth. And every time they answer it with the truth, they're pushing the, the, uh, the, the, the side of them that would be drawn back into a dramatic type of world, getting their highs and lows from the emotional charge of their world. That will slowly dissipate as they start to begin to answer questions in their minds accurately. And so... By the materials that I teach within the prison system, am I teaching a way for them to think accurately about the world around them? And so that ought to be the heart. When, you, when you're setting up your expectations of going into a prison, come with it with the second expectation that you're going into that prison 
with a study that leads them to accurate thinking every time you walk in there. And so by, by doing that, you're creating opportunities for them to evaluate their situation, respond to it with accurate and appropriate thoughts in their minds, and then they will speak accurate and appropriate thoughts uh, when they're engaged with, with other people. And so have that type of expectation. Uh, a third type of expectation uh, that I wanted to lay out is that have the expectation that they will change. Alright? Expect great things from God. He can change the most vilest of sinner into the most celebrated saint. Amen. Let Him do it. Let Him do it. Expect that these men are going to change because they want to. They want to. Two weeks ago, we met with um, the Honor Dorm uh, uh, senior representatives and the crew chiefs. Uh, we, have a, we have a system set up there in which the chaplain uh, runs the Honor Dorm. Anything that goes on inside the Honor Dorm is led and, just, and, and, uh, and organized by the chaplain's office. And I, I work with the chaplain, work with Bill, I work with Sam Drake and George and the rest of them down there uh, to, to, uh, as, as we're working with this dorm. DOC provides the security, but everything else in that dorm belongs to the chaplain. They call it the chaplain's house. <laughs> he is the boss. And so he sets the terms for that. Well, we go down there and we have a meeting with, with the uh, representatives, the structures. The structure team are prisoners who look out for themselves. They are the ones who take care of uh, anything that ne needs to go with, on within that prison. They're learning responsibilities. They're taking on accountability within that, within that uh, dorm setting. But the thing was that I found uh, past few months being involved with it was that they had a low expectation of themselves. Their expectation was, we keep our bunks clean. We keep our shoes properly under the bed. We make sure that, uh, that our clothes are folded right according to the DOC guidelines. We make sure that our towels are hung on properly on the end of the bed. That was their expectation. There was no further expectation out of them that they would go beyond what DOC required of them to do to live in the dorm. You know? And so, we go in there, and I told them, we've got to get past this. You know, they, what they do is they, if they find somebody violating the rule, uh, then they write them up. Oh, they just love... Right. They become the police officer, right? Oh yeah, now now I get to write I get to write somebody else up for I not maintaining. They own a merit system, their appoint system too to get in and to get out. Right. That will got bumped out on the merit system, didn't it? Exactly. Exactly. They they'll write them up, you know, they and if they fall below a certain point, they love to move them out. Here's my question to them at our meeting. I said 
Do you know who's going to move back in that bed? No. You're moving out a guy who won't keep his shoes straight under his bed and you're exchanging a guy like that for who knows what coming in your door that's going to sleep in the bunk right next to you. Well, I never thought about that before. <laughs> you know, but they'll write them up and they'll, they'll ticket them and they never would get past that level of expectation for them. They, they would expect everybody to live up to the physical level in the dorm that they are following, but they would never get past the point of going further and saying, we expect people to change. When you set the tone, when you go in your class, that you are expecting people to change, what do you think they're going to do? They'll change. They'll change. And when they do, praise them for it. Praise them for it. And, and give them the encouragement to continue that walk, that, that change. So, number three, in, uh, uh, set your expectation that they're going to change. Yes, sir? How do you know that they've changed? Little things. Very little things. Uh, for instance, um, one, of the, one of the young men in, in H-Dorm, uh, his name is Wade Hart, Hartzog. <laughs> Wade, they call him Matlock because he, y'all know Matlock? He, he is the resident legal counsel who files all the Rule 32 briefs for them. All right, Matlock was a little standoffish to begin with. And uh, he would kind of look at me when I'd come in and he would kind of make some snarky remark uh, after the class. Yeah, you know, that's, that's good stuff. And, you know. and then slowly he would stay after class and he began to ask questions. He would ask pertinent questions to the information that we're going through. And then he would say, you know, I was in the dorm the other day and I was listening to part of a discussion. And then he would relate that discussion to me. You could see by little things that he was engaging in, he was taking that information and he was processing it and he was using it and to how he was relating to others. See, so it's got to be a part of volunteering and going in is more than just your class you got to spend a little time with them afterwards to engage with them, to, to gauge where they are in their process. So the next time you go come into your class, then you know, hey, this person is moving further along in their studies. This person is still having a hang-up on this. These are things that I need to cover with them as I'm progressing through the materials. And so little things that they will do. Um, in fact, I've known Matlock now for uh, six years. And uh, uh, he, he has come a long way. Uh, and uh, last week I wrote him a letter of commendation. He's going before the parole board. And I wrote him a letter of commendation. And I wrote it from the aspect, it was three pages long. And I tell you, <clears throat> I was singing his praises. I don't care, I don't care who, re who reads it on the board. What I care about is 
Mr. Hartzog reading my letter and knowing what I think about him and the expectations I want out of him, regardless if he's ever released from prison or not, I want him to know his worth and what I think about Mr. Hartzog. And so I commended him for everything I could think of in my letter. I expect great things from these men. And, uh, and they will deliver uh, through that. Uh, all right, so there's three, three expectations that I wanted to cover. Now I want to cover a few challenges. All right, expectations and challenges that, that we face uh, in, in the prison. Uh, number one, <laughs> a challenge that the people you expect to succeed are going to fail. And that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. That's even a challenge on the outside world, isn't it? Uh, you know, there, there at Madison, <laughs> we've had uh, uh, dealings with, uh, with a young man, uh, Stephen Harbin. <laughs> Brother Bill <laughs> brought him back into the, uh, sign his, uh, sign his entry form into the honor dorm. <clears throat> we met Stephen while he was uh, uh, on the outside world. Our congregation did a, uh, a gift drive uh, every Christmas in which we help about 50-something families in the community with um, gifts for their kids. And that's how we met Stephen and Rebecca. And we had worked for months and months and months. We put them in, uh, uh, paid their rent for a certain period of time, put Stephen to work, and... He just got to say it, bless his heart. <laughs> There's some people that uh, just can't deal with a normal life. And, uh, and as we're learning through this process, uh, Stephen then, uh, uh, then, then comes up to his uh, uh, probation officer uh, you know, about six months on into this thing. He tests positive for drugs. And the whole expectation of the church was, this young man's going to succeed. But the challenge was, he didn't. <laughs> How are we going to do that? How are we going to face those types of challenges when people don't succeed, who, who, who give us every indication that they're going to, uh, uh, to, to succeed and, and, and just <clears throat> find it difficult to... Uh, to succeed and the challenge for us is where to know where the line is to help where's the line not to help where's the line where you don't become an enabler in a situation and where's the line or where's the where's the encouragement to pick up and go find another Stephen Harbin when you can uh, I believe one of the tracks is going to talk about those types of challenges, and I would encourage us all to to go to that. How does a how to get a church involved in a prison ministry, and that's one of the challenges that we all face in the, in those types of situations. So even with your volunteering in a prison, you're going to come into situations in which the challenges. One of the major challenges is going to be uh, a setback 
in, um, in, in someone not living up to your expectations. But should you stop having a high expectation of them? No. Have the expectation. Understand the reality of the situation and then learn how to follow up in either case that comes. And so that's going to be a challenge. Here's another challenge. Don't go into prison work with the idea that you are there to run the place. Too many times we have a difficulty maybe in our own in, uh, feelings of inadequacy. Sometimes people go into prison work as a volunteer, as a way to fill a void in their personal inadequacies of their life. And so when they go into a prison, they feel like they can take a control of a situation, lead people in a certain direction, and, uh, and in that way they're fulfilling a void in their own lives. The challenge is to avoid the idea that you are there for yourself and that you're really there not to run the place but to be a servant. And so keep that in mind as you're going through the challenges uh, of, of the prison work. It's, it's easy for me when I go into H dorm and they holler out, <clears throat> now they holler out, there's the boss. Who's he going to move out this week? You know? <laughs> how, how much time do I have? Am I good on time? Okay. Uh, I'll tell you another story. Uh, first time that, uh, see, Sam Drake was leading the dorm, and Sam has now uh, taking a summer hiatus, which is great. If you have a, if you're going to, if you're going to be a volunteer, set you a time to take a break from your work. Don't do it when you're discouraged, but always set you a time that you're going to return back from your break. Okay? Sam has taken a break and, and gone. So uh, my first experience about kind of heading up the hearings of, uh, of the write-ups and stuff like that, uh, you know, was, um, was interesting. I moved three people out of the dorms for minor infractions of the rules and after I did it, I got back to the office and I thought, this, this, this isn't right. I'm moving guys out who need to be there, but they just can't hang their shirt on the edge of their bed like they're supposed to. And, they're, and I'm removing them from the courses that they really need to hear. And so that's when it got me thinking, we've got to change the expectations to say everyone who comes into H-Dorm will maintain these rules, period. And now let's move on to greater things. And uh, by changing that, we're now having far less write-ups. Guys are maintaining their work like they're supposed to. And now we're ready to go ahead and implementing a, a big, broad spectrum of classes in the honor dorm. Um, why did I say that? Oh, yeah, because uh, I had to move, uh, move them out. Um, and so uh, the reputation was when I came in the dorm the first two weeks was somebody was getting moved out. We had 16 beds opened 
in the honor dorm and no applications were coming in to fill them. Now, think about that. What is that saying about how the pro, how, what's going on with the program? Inmates aren't seeing a need for moving into an honor dorm. No bar. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Got a weight room. Got TVs. Got air conditioning in some of the areas. Got a chapel. Got a library. You know, all it got its own kitchen facility right next to it. Yeah. They can make the most beautiful footballs there. You know. But they weren't getting the applications and the applications we were getting were guys that we really didn't want in the dorm. <laughs> so we had to make some changes I, 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 I perceived and make it a place that you're expected certain things were expected out of you but certain rewards come by living up to those expectations. And so but I would go into the dorm and, uh, and that would happen and so uh, so uh, I, would, I would always walk through the gate uh, and, and there would be a crowd of uh, inmates crowding around me asking basically, what are you going to do today? <laughs> and so there is a mentality that you could get stuck in and they would call out, you know, uh, uh, this is your house. And there is a, there is a, uh, a, a, a struggle, not well, a, a risk so to speak, that you do then start treating it as your house, as your classroom, as these are your inmates. Don't, don't do that. You're there to serve them. You're there to be God, uh, an a example of God in their presence, an example of Christ in their presence who sacrificed Himself for the good of the people. And you're there to be a sacrifice to them. So that leads to my other challenge. Always be humble. If you don't know the answer, then be quick to admit it. There are some very small people, a smart people in prison, and they know their Bible, and they'll set you right. <laughs> so if you find that you are wrong on a point or you have misspoken, be the first to admit it, and that will build your credibility with them. Don't continue arguing a point that is not valid uh, with them. Uh, another challenge, watch for the prison games that they will play. I mentioned that and crossing out other inmates. Don't get caught up in that. The challenge is to be close to them but don't get caught up in the games that they play. They will suck you in before you know it. And um, they are really pushing to see how far they can make you go. Whether it's, carry this out for me. Take this piece of paper home and read it. And let me know what you think about it. Then their next step is, take this letter out for me and see if you can't get it mailed to a certain relative. How about making a call on my behalf? I've always wanted to know if my grandmother is doing okay. She was in the hospital. Could you make a call for me? 
Those things will continue and continue and push you and push you until you get to the point that you are so burned out. We had one uh, volunteer uh, at, uh, at Limestone in which uh, an inmate kept hounding and hounding and hounding trying to find his relatives on the outside. He kept saying, nobody will help me. Nobody will help me find my relatives. The truth is his relatives didn't want to know from, hear from him. His relatives were the ones who were victimized by him. And there our poor uh, volunteer was stuck in a position where he had tried to make a phone call to a relative and then come to find out they didn't want to hear. So know that there is a limit and the challenge is not to cross over uh, that line. Uh, inmates don't, uh, don't like defiant inmates or disrespectful inmates. You're going to have challenges from defiant inmates that will come into your class and how, how to handle those situations uh, is uh, you can talk to your chaplain about that, but uh, they will... Uh, uh, they will come in and some of them will, will disrespect you. And the challenge is how to deal with that one person without losing the rest of the class. And if you handle it correctly, that class, the people that you are working with, will take care of the defiant one themselves. They will take care of him and or her. And so, uh, so uh, when you're working with them, show yourself... Uh, to be respectful. Uh, they respect you going in because you're doing this on your own time. You're volunteering your time. They will respect you just by the virtue of you stepping on that campus. And they will honor you. You have a place of honor uh, when they walk, uh, walk with you on the, that campus. And they will take care of the situations for you when they leave. In fact, many of them will beat you back up to the chaplain's office to say, this inmate was disrespecting the teacher. We don't want to lose our teacher. Get him out of the class. And uh, they will take care of those types of situations. And so uh, those are some uh, expectations and challenges. I have my notes that I wanted to uh, have, but I left all my copies at, 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 uh, at home. Um, but it will be on the website, and they'll have all the different pointers. There's like 10, there's like 10 uh, 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 expectations and 10 challenges within this uh, that you can take and, and follow along. All right, so let me, let me be your cheerleader for, what, one more minute? One minute. I love you guys. You know, I, I, had, uh, uh, I had come to this place from a different, different walk. Um, I had, I had uh, dedicated a number of years uh, to looking at society in such a way that, uh, that there were parts of society that weren't worth saving. They are. They're souls. God loves them. We need to focus our efforts and never grow weary 
in well-doing and saving lost souls wherever, wherever they may be. I told you some of my favorite people, my best friends, are now behind bars. I'd love to see them out. I'd love to see them as my neighbor. I know that they would they'd be the best neighbors in the entire world. And so we want to continue to, uh, to encourage one another to find those in the prison systems that we can, uh, that we can make that life change, help them with accurate thinking, and, uh, and then let them become productive citizens and glorify God in the rest of their lives. Thank you for your kind attention.